Hey, I'm Kyle, and thanks for checking out this message today. We are glad you're here, and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way you can do that is you can text River Connect one word to 97,000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and the upcoming events that we have going on. And lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text that amount to 84321, or again, you can check our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. We just want to say thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy today's message. So, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, we kind of wrapped our Revelation series, and then we kind of went in to join the team, and kind of like a, a beautiful thing that we... We allow, that's a weird allow, we always, again, go by the Holy Spirit, but uh, every once in a while we just kind of like budget in a uh, preacher's choice sermon. And I love and I don't love preacher choice sermons because there's two things. One, I like routine and I like knowing where I'm going and I like building sermons into this like logical faith, faith progression, helping build on last week and this week and this week, so all of a sudden it just be like a one-outer. I'm like, oh my gosh, like the... There's no structure, and then I don't know where you're at as a human being. I like structure, um, but in the same right, I, I like being able to kind of go to the Holy Spirit and ask him, uh, again, what do you want me to speak? So uh, I kind of was sitting there uh, a couple weeks ago, and I realized two things. One, uh, I'm a very overzealous person. Nobody seems shocked by that whatsoever. Like, there was no, oh my gosh, Ryan. But like, for me, like, I, I, I'm over the top. I'm, I'm a big personality. I, 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 I want to win. Uh, I'm, I'm not the most athletic guy in the world, but man, you put me down for Uno, I am putting draw fours on my kids, and I have no care in the world. I'm winning. I'm at the point I'm trying to get my kids to stack. I'm like, no, draw two plus draw two plus draw two. That's a draw six, Zeke. And it's like, you're 40, Ryan. Calm down. Like that, 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 that's me. So I don't like losing. I don't, I, I, I don't like winning. I, Eric, I don't like losing. I, I don't like being second best. I don't like coming in third. Uh, for me, a big thing, I, I don't like accomplishing goals. And this is something for me across the board. This is me as, uh, again, a, 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 a follower of Christ. I like putting goals out there. I, I want to read the Bible. I want to be able to kind of like end the Old Testament by this day. And like it, it drives me when I don't. For me as a husband, I, I, I'm the one who wants to sit down. Let's do family meetings with me and my wife. Let's talk about goals that we need to have with our family. We need a schedule. We need a routine, and we need all that stuff. And Kathy's like, calm down. That's not what it is. For my kids, and this is something for parents, like, have you ever looked at, like, your 8-year-old, and you're like, you need to be this as a human being, and, like, they're 8, and you expect them to act like they're 28? Okay, that's me. Uh, so again, I'll confess. Like it's like, no, you need to have the character that reflects Christ and all that you do. You will not be selfish. And then Broly's like, I just wanted a toy from Amazon, Dad. Like, well, you can just relax, calm down. But for me, like, I, I, I'm an overzealous person. And for me, like, and I, I'll go to kind of this like last area of my life. Like, I, I, I'm a pastor. And sometimes being an overzealous pastor uh, can be a good thing because. You want to have a pastor, a person who's leading the church, who's passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't want somebody who comes in, a new family comes in, family gets baptized. Again, you see like God moving, and you're like, meh. Like, you, you don't want that. You, you, want, you got one when we see new people come in, like, this is exciting. What's going on here? God's doing amazing things, whether it's a, a 200 people or whether it's 30. doesn't matter. But for me, as an overzealous pastor, there, there, there's, there's that other side, though. 
sometimes you get too overzealous and you got to realize that the person who truly builds the church isn't you. It's Jesus. So Jesus wants, I think, passionate pastors. He wants people to be on fire for the gospel. Again, the, the, the Jeremiah verse, if I don't speak, my bones incinerate on the inside. But then the hard thing is, it's not about you. So you got to kind of temper that ego. you got to temper that pride. you got to realize, like, it ain't you. So for me, like, uh, kind of a fun fact, uh, I've been up here at Burton for five years. So come November, December-ish of uh, 2018, opportunity arose. Would you like to go be a location pastor? Uh, I've been praying about it for, for months. Like, what's my next step for God? And then God opened this door here. So I'm like, sweet. So at that moment, I, I came out to Burton. And again, for some of you, you're like, kind of like the old faithfuls. You're the guys who have been around uh, my craziness since the beginning. So I remember the first time I pitched Conquerors Club. You give kids Nerf guns and you do memory verse and you tell them to run around the church. Like for some people, that was a, <gasps> it's the sanctuary. It doesn't matter. It's the gospel. We're going to give them Nerf guns and we're finding Nerf guns on Sundays. It was great. But for me, the, the moment I got up here uh, from a weekly rhythm uh, type of situation, like I, I've been praying that I, I want to see 130 people average every Sunday. Now, where did you come up with that idea? I don't know. I just prayed and God, what do you want? I was like, 130 average. So again, an average though, if you know anything about an average, law of averages are hard to maintain. They're hard to keep. But I was like, I truly believe after seeing Christmases and Easter's, the true potential of this location, what God does here. Man, 130 ain't that bad. Again, the law of average. But man, if you came here on Easter, you know, like there, there are nine seats left in this auditorium. So I see the, the people who call the River Church Burton their home. Like, I want to see people connected. I want to see people growing in their walk with God. Like, I want to see that. So I started praying for, I started working for, trying to grow in my relationship with the Lord because I, I can't lead people where I'm not at. So, like, I'm going to do all the things. Well, then guess what? We haven't hit that goal. Now, a couple weeks ago, I, I, I'm sitting there, and again, I, I'm an overzealous person. I haven't hit a goal that I've been praying for for five years. Now, we could talk, was five years ago, there was this thing that happened in 2020 that completely shifted everybody's life down and changed it, changed the church. But again, I'm an overzealous person. I'm like, that's an excuse. I ain't using COVID as an excuse. God can do amazing things, and I'm going to do the work. And I was sitting there a couple weeks ago, and I felt discouraged. Now, this is a weird thing, real talk. Pastors sometimes feel discouraged with what God is doing in their life. <gasps> Shocks, I know. I'm a person. I struggle with sin. I struggle with pride. I struggle with insecurity. I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with those things, too. But a couple weeks ago, I was just sitting there, and I was like, ah, like, I, I walk out my office door, and if you ever see my secondary whiteboard, because yes, that's how, like, crazy I am with planning. I have two whiteboards here, because in case one breaks down, I need to have a second one. But I have a goal that says 130 by December. That's been up there for years. Yeah, I've, I've never erased it. But I walked out one Sunday, and I, like, I saw that after like, a couple weeks ago. It was like a, a low dip in just what was going on. At the end of July, vacations, that's not a shame on you if you miss the Sunday. Go be with family. Go do what you got to do. That's fine. But again, I was like, man, like, <sighs> too overzealous for this. So I had to take my heart, and I, I had to go back to the Lord. And I was sitting there on a Monday morning, and I was like, okay, like, God, what do I need? And I, I looked up. Um, 
from reading the Bible after I just read something beautiful and I saw something beautiful. Uh, so it was a very, very sweet time. So first, we'll do this. So the first thing I want to sh- show you is the something beautiful. So if you want to send the, the menace in. So I, I was sitting there, and I was reading. And all of a sudden, I looked over. You want to come here, baby? It's okay. There we go. She got a little shy. So th- can you tell everybody your name? This is why you plan out illustrations. Do you don't want to tell anybody your name? No? Okay. But this is Keziah. So Keziah is my beautiful, spunky, crazy little girl. Now, fun fact, before I came up to Burton, Kathy was like nine months pregnant. And when the first thoughts about, hey, Ryan's going to come to Burton, love the elders, love that they care about me, they're like, Ryan's about to have his third child. We can't send him right now. We need to wait until he has that kid. So again, there was a little bit of a punt. But Kezi is my little baby girl, and she's going to turn five come November. But I looked up, and I saw her, and I realized something, that she is only five. Now, this sounds crazy to you, and some parents, you understand this. She's only five. So in the way, sometimes when I look at her about growth, i got to realize growth takes time. And progress takes time. You want to go back to mommy? Thank you, Kezi. But when I was reading, though, I was reading something in the book of Ezra. So I'll give you a heads up. It's all downhill from here when it comes to cuteness. We're going to go into the Bible. But the Bible's the most important thing right over here. But I was reading through Ezra. And it just, again, I, I'm one of those, like, just get the entire book done, read a lot of chapters, like, I, I like concluding, I like knowing thoughts, I like knowing, okay, when did that stop? But like, I'm, I'm reading through the book of Ezra, and I look up, and I see Kez. Now, remember the cuteness in a second, because I'm going to bring this sermon illustration back. I didn't want to bring her out at the end of the thing, because like, she has uh, nursery to go through, and I want her to hear the gospel by the end of the day. So why didn't you wait till the end? Because I want my daughter in church right now, and I want her learning. But if you got your Bible, we're going to be in the, uh, the book of Ezra. And Ezra's one of those, like, it's a weird order because where it falls in the Old Testament, it should actually be at the end of the Old Testament if you're going to look at it like chronologically because it's the end of the Old Testament. But it's kind of like in the middle of the Old Testament. So fun fact, kind of where we're at here, uh, the people of God, the Israelites, are in captivity. But this is an Egyptian captivity. So if you need a little bit of an overview, if you're not a Bible scholar, uh, we've got to start with, like, Abraham. God comes up to Abraham, gives him a promise. Like, I'm going to make, uh, again, I mean, your, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars and the, the, the sand on the beach. But it goes from Abraham. Then, again, the, the, the promise is fulfilled by Isaac. Isaac has a son by the name of Jacob. Jacob has a bunch of sons, and he has one by the name of Joseph. And there's all things favoritism and all things a very, very multicolored trench coat. So if you're following me, good job. You know your Bible better than what you think. But it continues from there. So Joseph, though, gets sold into slavery in Egypt. And while he's there, he eventually brings all of his family to Egypt because he becomes like the number two guy. And this is how all the Israelites wind up in Egypt. The Pharaoh changes, and it's no longer a good time in Egypt. And then we get all things Prince of Egypt, which is a phenomenal movie. But you got all things oppression, make brick without straw, uh, let my people go, all those things. 
But since we're in Egypt, then you go to Moses. Moses, let my people go. They leave. They get a guy by the name of Joshua eventually. Joshua takes them into the promised land. You get a bunch of judges who start ruling, which eventually becomes kings. And you got Saul, and you got David, you got David and Goliath, all these things. But then after David, David has a son by the name of Solomon. Solomon builds God's temple. This is a very, very important thing for us to know. Solomon, David's son, David is the second king of Israel. He is the great king. He is the man after God's own heart. He is the one who covenants are made from God to David for, and those directly point to Jesus. But David's son makes the temple. David himself could not build the temple because David had blood on his hands. David was a warrior. But now you have Solomon builds a magnificent place to worship the Lord. I'm talking cedars of Lebanon. He's, he's bringing in exports, gold. Uh, the crazy thing is that it took like a lot of time for Solomon to make the temple. It's a very, very important thing. But with the temple, eventually what happens after Solomon is there's a bunch of bad kings. Even so, Solomon's son, one generation after Solomon, two generations after David, Decides Rehoboam, listens to his young friends, doesn't pull back taxes, keeps the levy heavy on the people, and what happens is the kingdom splits right down the middle. Have you ever seen a divided nation? That's what happened back in the day. So there's a divided nation. You got Judah, you got Israel, but after this, you start having different kings. And some of the kings are good, most of the kings are bad. And when we say good or bad, we're not talking about political order. We're not talking about health, uh, health benefits or where they at on this, this political issue. We're talking about whether or not they lived for the Lord. I don't care about their political rule. I don't care about their health, uh, their, their welfare assignments. I don't care what they're trying to do for public works. With, at the end of the day, the kings that were bad, it has nothing to do with what they did for the people. Were they good with God? And most of them were bad. So what ends up happening, they get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And finally, God's like, I'm done. And you can be like, well, why didn't God send somebody over to tell him to stop? He did. They're called the prophets. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, like all these prophets, Haggai, all these guys show up and they're like, stop sinning. Stop sacrificing to false gods. Stop idolatry. Stop doing this or that or anything like that. But what happens? None of the kings listen. So God's finally like, all right, I'm done with you. He sends the Assyrians, he sends the Babylonians, just completely wipes the nation of Israel off the map. And then they go, and this is all things, uh, if you know anything about the book of Daniel, how Daniel winds up in Babylonian captivity, this is where Daniel is. Now, what happens to Babylon, fun fact if you're a historian, Babylon eventually gets taken over by Persia, and then we're not going to go down all the historicity. But you now have Persia took over Babylon, but what's still in the middle of Babylon? God's people. God's people are sitting in captivity. They're not in their hometown. They're not in the promised land. They are in a foreign land. And all that to say, and if you're like, I knew all of that. Again, good job. You probably know the Bible more than what you think you know. But to get to all of that, and then we go to Ezra chapter 1. And this is where, again, I, I, I was reading this. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. 
so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is Judah. So kind of two crazy things, and I don't want to get lost in the weeds here. One, the Lord is sovereign over pagan kings. You could not like a political figure. It doesn't matter. The person who put them there is God. So what should we do as a church? We pray that God moves in their heart because we can look at Ezra. We know what God is capable of doing. God can change even the craziest situations. God can change anybody's hearts. So we're going into an election season. Hold on to your seats because it's always fun for the church. But what is the thing we have to know? Whether we like the person, don't like the person, God put the person there and God is capable of changing their hearts. So fun fact, it's a little quick and easy before it gets too crazy in here. And again, what side are you on? Like, Jesus, like that's the side we're on here. But for us to look at this, you see a crazy situation. If God says it be so, it's going to be so. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is like the the, the temple will be rebuilt. And what is happening right here? Nobody would have saw this happen. Everybody's like, well, we're going to rebuild the temple because we're the good guys. The person who's in charge of getting the commission to start building the temple is Cyrus of Persia. He's not on team God. He's not on team Yahweh. He's, he's not on team Jesus. But God moves in his heart. He's like, you're going to send people back. This is what's going to happen. In Ezra 1.3. And again, the, 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 uh, the proclamation, whoever is among you of all the people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. This is insane. This isn't like the godly heroic figure saves the day and fights off all the bad guys and wins an argument. No. God moves in Cyrus's heart and he's like, you guys want to go build your temple again? You guys can go. So as much as we got to look at things, we got to understand that, that God is capable of the insane. God is capable of anything. But for us, uh, this is where the stage is set. Now the people of Israel can go back. The temple's been destroyed by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. We can go back to our home city. We can go back to the promised land. We can go back to our home and worship God there. We're no longer in captivity. We no longer got to worry about are we going to live by the law and with the Babylonian influence and you got to eat this diet, you got to do these things. We get to go back home. This is a celebration moment. This is, this is a big moment for the Israelites. But then this is where it starts. All Things Ezra chapter 2 is a genealogy of who goes. Fun names if you want to do a name check at some point. Uh, But in Ezra chapter 3, 1. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. So to get to Persia, to get back to Israel, took them seven months. It's a long time. There's no Ubers. There's no cars. There's no planes. They had to pick up their house put it on the backs of some sort of beast of burden, and walk it out. Maybe you had a cart. Maybe that could help you. But it took them seven months to get from Persia back to Israel. Seven months for them to come together as a team. Like, we're going to do this. And Ezra chapter 3, verse 2 says, And then arose Jeshua, the son of Josedak, uh, with his fellow priests in Zerubbabel, son of uh, Sheatel, uh, 
I'm not great with names either. Um, and his kinsmen, and they built the altar of the God in Israel to offer burnt offerings on it. And it was written by the law of Moses and the man, uh, man of God. So what happens? Seven months to get back to Jerusalem. Seven months to get back to the site of the Holy of Holies. Seven months to get back to where the original temple was. And for seven months, what is the first thing that they build? Now remember, they're there to build the temple. What did they build first? They built the altar. Now what is the altar? This is one of those that you need to know this stuff. The altar is where you would ceremonial sacrifice animals. This is where, again, uh, ceremonial, uh, again, like you, you, you kill your turtle dove, you kill your ox. This is where the blood offering happens. Because why does God care about blood offerings? Because blood brought the remission of sin. Fast forward to Jesus. Jesus is on the cross. The blood offering is the remission of sin. The ultimate sacrifice was found in the Son of Man. The ultimate sacrifice is found with God. So for us, the altar is linked to worship of God, celebration of uh, atonement, and praising God for the removal of sin. Why did they start with the altar? Because of all of those. Because we get to celebrate God's forgiveness. We get to worship God. We get to celebrate the fact that we can have a relationship with the Lord. Why did they start there? Because the people of Israel wanted their worship to be correct. Now for us, Jesus is our altar. If you're like, well, we need to sacrifice. We got to go get some ox and all that stuff. Please don't ever bring that to church. We're not doing it. And I don't know if I have the gut for that. That'd be very fun. I'm, I'm, I'm for the try, but I, I don't know if I have the ability to like cut something in half. And then if we do a marriage ceremonial, you walk through the middle. I'm not there. But for us to look at this, Ezra takes, again, uh, Ezra starts having this, play and he's recording to everybody, hey, the first thing we set up was worship. But how long did it take them to get this proper worship? Seven months. Think about that. Seven months. What are you going to be thinking about in seven months? For some of you, you're like, I know exactly where I'm going to be. For some of you, you're like, I don't know what tomorrow's going to be. I don't know what next week's going to be. But for us, we got to look at this. Seven months to build a place where they can get their worship correct via the altar. Seven months. In Ezra chapter uh, 3, verse 6, and says, from the first day of the seventh month, again, timestamps in the, the Bible are beautiful, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. This is like one of the first times they were able to do that since they left captivity. This is a big verse, uh, but they, they, they sent burnt offerings to the Lord. But the foundations of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So what's their goal? Their goal is to get to the temple. But after seven months, they got to a place, hey, this, 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 we at least have the altar. But they keep going. And then in Ezra chapter 3, verse 7, just kind of read through a bunch of that. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and the foods and the drink and the oil of the Sidonians and the Tyranians uh, to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the Sea of Joppa according to grant that they had from Cyrus, the king of Persia. Just one of those Fun little, just throw it out there. So they gave money. Who were they? The people of Israel. What were they helping with? Establishing a place to worship God. Why is offering important? It's not some pyramid scheme. It's not so I can get rich. It's not because I have a private plane. We give to God faithfully so God can continue to do amazing things. So just a fun little sermon point right there. But then this is where it gets really fun. Ezra 3.8. Now in the second year, 
after coming to the house of God at Jerusalem in the second month, Zerubbabel, son of Shelatiel, uh, and Jeshua, the son of uh, Josedek, made a beginning together with the rest of the kinsmen and the priests of the Levites, all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and up. So just a heads up, if you're 20, you can still do amazing things for the Lord and to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. Here's a fun one. Seven months. I'm no mathematician, but two years is roughly 24 months. Look at that gap of time. What were they doing? Living, making a plan, raising money, getting supplies. But in that overzealousness sometimes, we can forget that stuff takes time to get where it needs to be. And in two years, this is when they started planning how they were going to put the foundations of the temple in. Two years to start that, 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 that move. And then in Ezra chapter 3, verse 9. And Jeshua with his sons and his brothers uh, and his sons of uh, Judah together supervised the workmen uh, in the house of God among them, the sons of Henadad and the Levites and their sons and their brothers. And this is the big part. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments came forward with, trumpet, uh, with trumpets and the Levites, some of uh, Asaph, uh, with symbols and praising the Lord according to the direction of God, David, king of Israel. So seven months to get to the altar. Two years to get to the point where there's foundations. Seven months to get to a point where worship was correct. Two years to get to the point where there's a firm foundation. And what do the people do? They celebrated it. Now we fast forward one more time. There's haters, there's adversaries, there's, uh, again, a... a difficult things. Uh, you got to build with your sword in the hand, and for some dudes, that, that sounds phenomenal. Like, I'm going to build my house and put some bricks up, and I get to fight some dudes, too. Like, again, I guess that was break time. I don't know if there's a union issue there, but we, we have all these things that go down. From seven months to two years, two years to, in Ezra chapter 6, it says, then according to the word that was sent to Darius, so Cyrus, Cyrus is no longer a king, switch over king there, um, uh, the governor of the providence beyond the river, uh, and their associates did with all diligence with Darius, the king had ordered, and this is where it gets good, and the elders of the Jews built and proposed through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet, and the prophet of Zechariah, son of Idu. They finished their building by decree of God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, uh, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year in the reign of Darius, the king. Time stamps are very important to pay attention to in the Bible. Because sometimes we can read a Bible and we think like, again, Ezra 1 to Ezra 6 is like a six-day journey. It's not the way it is. Took them seven months to get from Persia to Israel where they built the altar. Then it took them another two years to lay the foundations down. Then it took them six years from the initial leaving to finally complete their task, to finally get to the place where they're like, the temple's good. So, with all of that, the couple of things we gotta know is like, one, the Bible is time stamped. Sometimes we skim through those details and we don't look them over. We just read and we're like, oh yeah, like Ruth is with Boaz now. That was the last chapter. That was quick. Like, no, it was actually like an entire year. Sometimes we can read stuff like Ezra, like, man, the Israelites move so fast. And look what God blessed them with. That's not the truth. 
Because sometimes a verse can convey a century or it can convey an hour. We have to read. So free commercial, read your Bibles. But the thing that I landed on, though, and this is take me back to, again, I, I'm sitting at my kitchen table w- with a heart that was discouraged. Like, man, like, this 130 is never going to happen, Lord. I'm not the right guy. Get me out of here. Get somebody in there who can do that stuff. Like, what's in my life? What am I sinning? Where's my bad attitude? I'm just like, what's going on? But then God smacked me with this, and he realized the truth of the matter is progress takes time. I sat there, and I looked at that. Now, again, like, let's remember that thing that I saw that was beautiful. Because when I'm sitting there and I got to Ezra chapter 6 and I realized from the beginning, seven months, two years, six years, I looked up and I saw Kez, my fierce, my spunky, my ditzy, uh, my very beautiful, helpful little girl who was more than capable of knuckling up and cuddling up with a drop of a dime and I don't know what it's going to be. But for me as a father, I can understand that progress takes time. But me as a father... I will never rush that process. I will celebrate that process of watching her grow up. And I ain't ready for that done, done, done. I got to take her down the aisle. And that's 30 years down the line, calling her right now, 34 is when she gets married. I'm not ready for that. I'm going to enjoy every day as I possibly can with her. And again, for this progress, to know that she's going to do great things for the Lord. To know that I'm going to love watching that. I, I can sit patiently and I can wait for that progress to unfold but then this is where it gets kind of interesting so I can sit patiently for that thing of beauty but when it comes to watching God build a church in this thing of beauty I want to turn around and rush it oh double manded mine am I I can't have the same mentality. It's like, I gotta, I gotta have one. Like, if I'm okay being patient for that progress, then I have to be okay with this progress. You can't have both. And while I was sitting there, progress takes times, and we enjoy the little moments, the ups, the downs, the boo boos, the memories. And again, I'm not talking about my daughter now, I'm talking about the church. Because there's gonna be ups, there's gonna be downs, but in life, progress takes time. And for us to miss out on the adventure of that progress, that's when it takes that overzealousness and it turns it into something bad. Now let's turn the tables here. For you, what in your life do you feel you're being impatient with God with? You know you got one. You know there's something when it comes to, again, if it's, it's, it's watching your marriage grow, if it's watching your kids grow, if it's watching you grow, pick one. And when's the Lord going to show through this season because it's been thing after thing after thing after thing after thing and it just keeps going bad? What are you impatient about? Because if we can get to a place where we understand that progress takes time and we're like, yes, I agree with that, then you have to understand that progress takes time in your walk with Jesus. Because you're not going to go from seven months, two years, six years and be the same person throughout But I pray to God that you can look back in your life and you can be like, but I saw how he was working the entire way. I saw how that progress, yes, it took time. And yes, I wanted it to go faster. And yes, I wish I could have got over that insecurity. I wish I could have got over that issue. Or I wish my marriage was better. I wish this was better. Or God, why didn't you do this? But in the same right, if you can look at it and where you're standing right now, you're like, but he is good. 
He's good all the time. He's faithful and just. He's never left me nor forsaken me. And again, we we can't take away the difficulties because all through the time of Ezra, there's difficulties, there's adversaries, there's people who are literally stepping forward to try to halt the progress of what is going on. But what did the people do? They understood progress took time and they kept going forward. Now for me, like I look at it to kind of look at you. For us, maybe it's going to take you seven months to get your worship right. Maybe it's going to take you two years to get your foundations down. And maybe it's going to take you six years as a building manager to see that final product. And I think this is one of those things for us. We look at that. And that's not what we want to do. That's not how we want to live with Jesus. We want that instantaneous foundation. I came to church once. Why am I still wavering? I prayed that prayer once. How come I'm not standing firm in the Lord? How come I'm still lacking confidence that he's going to show up? Because foundations take time. But even for us, we, the seven months to get your worship right, people will come into a church, and I tried it once, I'm done. Okay. I opened my Bible one time, God didn't speak to me, I'm done. Oh, okay. But with all of these, for us, if we want to get to a place where, again, this, this, this magnificent temple is built, it took six years to rebuild that thing. Are you willing to give six years to God six years to build something in your life? So I've got to ask yourself a couple questions. One, is your worship right? Because if your worship isn't right, it might take you seven months to get your worship right. You're going to have to identify some idols in your life. You've got to understand some unbiblical things that you're putting in front of Jesus. Like, sometimes like, your worship might not be where it needs to be. You're holding on to the almighty dollar. You're holding on to your wife. You're holding on to your kids. You're holding on to your job. You're holding on to your 401k. Instead of clinging to the gospel that is Jesus Christ, that Jesus died on a cross for our sins, rose again three days later in victory, that we may have a restored relationship with him. You might get that at one. You might think get that at an Easter. But sometimes to get our worship right, man, maybe we need seven months. But for some of us, we're trying to live a life, and again, how, how's your foundation going? Do you stand on the rock that is Jesus Christ? Do you got two feet firmly planted on his word? Where you're unwavering, and you're, you're there, or do you, again, the, you wake up in the morning, and you stub your toe, and you're like, oh, Jesus hates me. No, you're just being clumsy and rushing and you hit your toe on that thing every other day. Like, maybe you should move the coffee table. Like, we can't do that. Or gas light goes on or car light goes on. And we're like, oh my gosh, God. That's not a good foundation. Because for us to understand the foundation, we know that God is for us. We know that, again, that nothing will ever be against us. We know that his love is there. Here's the thing. If you don't know his love is there, then what in the world is the cross? Because at the moment Jesus got on that cross and he said, it is finished. He he displayed the greatest love humanity will ever see. Greater than in marriage. Greater that is with your kids. It is the greatest love that somebody laid down their life for everybody, all sins, all humanity at that time. And I'll say that. There's sometimes I wake up and I don't, do I know that love? Do I rest in that love? 
And Corinthians says that the love of Christ control you. Sometimes I got to look at my foundations and sometimes my foundations aren't as sturdy as I would like them to be. And they give me a mic every Sunday. Horrible decision making, but at least real. Because if I know I struggle, I got to assume you do too. Sometimes our foundations aren't as strong as what we want. And praise be to God that he's a God of mercy and he's a God of grace and he's a God of second chances. But it's not about making that super, super firm foundation, but it's understanding that it can take seven months to two years to get it down. And there should be a thing. If you show up for a church for the first time, like, and you're trying to grow in your lock with Jesus, like, sit somewhere for two years where you can hear the gospel preached. Watch what happens. But then this is the big one. What are you letting God, I want to make sure I say this specifically, because it's not you, we're not doing health and wealth, it's not doing about you in the middle. What are you letting God build in your life? What are you letting God build in your family? What are you building God, what are you letting God build is a gospel opportunity for you. Because if we go this track and we, we track the same timeline, seven months to get our worship right, two years to get our foundations right, but it could take six years for God to show you that opportunity that God wants. And I laugh because we, we look at this and we say progress takes time. But are you consistently moving towards that goal? If you truly want God to do something amazing in your family, you truly want God to do something amazing in your marriage, you truly want God to do something amazing with your kids, you want God to use you to just shine his light and you're the city on the hill, sometimes it might take time. It could happen overnight. Again, I'm not putting God in a box and saying this is like, this is the way to work. But are you moving towards that? So we're going into Colossians uh, through the month of September and just read through it a couple times. And Colossians 1 uh, verse 23 reads, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, for which I, Paul, became a minister. The things that I like is what Paul reminds the church of Colossae here. If indeed you continue in faith, if you are stable, if you are steadfast, if you're not shifting from hope of the gospel, you're not going, Jesus is Lord of Savior. No, he's not. Jesus is my king. Uh-uh. Like You're staying there the best you can. And again, I know the difficulty of keeping your heart there, but you stay there the best you can. But this seven month, this two year, this six year has to be met with continual, faithful, stable, steadfast, not shifting in the hope that the gospel truly can change you and that God loves you. For us, if we're looking at this idea that progress takes time, then we have to get to a place, we have to progress in our walk if we want to see progress. And we have to progress consistently. And I'm not saying read the Bible in a day. I'm not saying pray. Football season comes up and it's going to be about three hours where I'm not praying while I'll be praying, but there's a different prayer. It's going to be for Lions to win, but you can get where I'm at. But for us to sit here, so often we want to see God move in our life. We, we, we want to. I, I, I don't think people come to church and like, I want to be the same person next year. I'm going to be in the same place where I'm in my marriage. I want to be in the same place with my kids. I want to be in the same place with my walk with God. Like I, I do believe that there is a, a yearning inside of believers' hearts when they know the gospel. They want to know what God has for them. They know it's the only hope because that's why you would be here. 
But for us, we have to hold on to the hope that, again, if we want to have progress, we must progress consistently. In Ezra, they were met with every single obstacle they possibly could be met with. People were sending letters back to Cyrus and being like, dude, they're doing this. They're tattletailing on the boss. If you ever work in like a retail or anything like that, like, can I speak to your manager? That's literally what people were doing. They were carrying out the entire thing. They were sending stuff back to Cyrus being like, they need to stop. There were two guys who specifically were trying to get them to stop by destroying things. So much so, again, the, the, the progress had to continue with a sword in hand and a shovel in hand. But I love this. Because progress didn't stop during difficult times. It might have slowed down. It didn't run as fast the entire time. How do you get from seven months to two years, two years to six years? Sometimes stuff takes time to build. Sometimes there's bad seasons. Sometimes your pipes blow up in your house and it makes for a very, very fun week. Sorry. But there's things that happen. And progress takes time. But for us, so many times in our walk with Jesus, we don't progress because we quit. We give up. This is too hard. I'm not doing it anymore. But then in six months, we go through it. We go back to the Lord. We're like, how come you never do anything? God is the consistent in the universe. We are the inconsistent. So for us, we need to build on him him we need to build on our relationship with him we got to build on our faith with him but so often the moment it gets difficult we're like we're done but i'm here to encourage you like progress takes time for me i I, i've been living here in first corinthians chapter 3 verse 10 and i just this this is everything with the church is everything with my life But Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I lay a foundation and someone else is building upon it. And let each one take care of how he builds upon it. The reality is uh, someone's helped build your walk with God. It's a preacher before me, I pray to God. It's Jesus himself is the very, very root of, again, the cornerstone. But now it's you. How are you helping build your walk with God? But I love what Paul says here. Let each one take care of how he builds. How are you building? Because if we go back to Ezra, man, they they, they took care of what they were trying to build. What was the first thing they made sure was right? They made sure they were worshiping God. Now, it might not have been Jesus, might not have been gospel, but it was all pointing to God. The, the, the altar of the sacrifices, our, our altar of sacrifice, who is Christ. It was all a point to God. You want to know that? Go read the book of Hebrews. But for us to look at this, they built with care by first and foremost, is your worship right? Is the gospel the primary motivating thing in your heart? When you hear Jesus died for your sins, I pray there's an eruption of joy and gratitude. Is your worship of Jesus right? Because you got to build that with care. You got to protect that from different ideologies and different religions and people who say, no, you're crazy. No, man, you're going to build with care. You're going to make sure the gospel is there. But if you're building with care, you're putting time into it. You're growing in it. You're investing in it. You got to look at your foundations. You don't 
build like a, a, a cracked foundation and be like, that's good enough. The Bible says, and Jesus says again, you build your life on me. Is that foundation good? Or are you like half on and half off? I like Jesus' foundation, but I'm going to keep my leg over here because I kind of want to go do my own thing. No, again, it's the foundation. This is the safe place to be. This is the good place to be. This is where I can grow. This is where I can build my family. This is where I can build my marriage. This is where I can build my life here. And I'm building it on the rock. Not my own understanding, not my own skill set, not my own money. Building it on Jesus. But even that, that, that takes time and care to make sure, oh, we're shifting a little bit. Nope, back over here. Oh, we're going to be consistent on Sunday. Back over here. Oh, there's growth communities coming up. Ah, let's skip. Takes care and time. And if you're a master builder, man, you're over the top making sure your measurements are good. But then this last one is to see God truly build that beautiful thing or whatever God's trying to build in your life. And I don't know what he's trying to build in your life. I don't know what he's trying to build in my life. <laughs> I'm waking up each day and just be like, okay, let's, let's figure this out. But for us to live here, Let's each one take care of how we're going to do that. So for your life, your relationship with Jesus, I, I want to challenge you to do something. I'm going to challenge you to keep going and keep building. I don't know where you're at. You're like, this is, this is, I'm done with this. It doesn't work. Uh, maybe it's just what you think you're going to get from Jesus isn't what Jesus is trying to give you. Maybe that's not a fault of Jesus. Maybe that's where your heart is and you're like, but give me this. No. But for me, progress takes time. It, it took a moment where I could look up and I could see my daughter and be like, I'm not going to rush this. I'm going to enjoy this. But in the same right, I, I, I can't wait to watch what God does. So for you, if you're here, if you're struggling, you're walking with God, if you're like, man, I, I can't get this right. I can't figure this out. I struggle with consistency. I, I love coming to church on Sunday, but I know I'm going to swear in 45 minutes. And like, again, you know you're there. Progress takes time. But for us, we will be a church. And I love this about Colossians. We're going to continue in faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. You stay focused on the gospel. You stay there. You stay tried and true, walking towards that. You're going to look back one day and be like, well, I took six years, but oh my gosh, our marriage. Oh my, oh my gosh, my kid. Oh my gosh, like I'm preaching to people who just come into my life, into my life and I, I'm watching Jesus do amazing things. Progress. Progress.